gospel reading for today is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it's day. Night is coming when, you, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. So others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it was it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you, are you teaching us? 
So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord. Webster was unsure of the whole thing. Had he had other options, he certainly would have taken them. But that's just it. He didn't. So, unsure or not, he was here. I mean, what choice did he have, really? He ran through the situation in his mind, searching, reconsidering. Was there something he missed? Was there some way, some other way? But even before he'd finished figuring, weighing, he gave up. He'd been through this routine so many times before, he knew the answer. He didn't want to speak the word or even articulate it in his mind, but he was, he knew. He was desperate. So unsure doesn't matter much, sent up next to desperate. But still, it's weird. Why'd they want to meet him here? He didn't even know that places like this still existed, that there were bus stations like this. Not like this. It was like some place from the 50s, or more like some place that was thriving in the 50s that had a makeover in the 70s and hadn't been attended to since. It was dark, like every other light bulb was burnt out or the ballast and the fluorescence were dead, leaking, giving off a brown-tinged light. It was grimy. A funny word. He couldn't think of it coming out of anyone else's mouth but his mother's grimy. But that was the right word for this place. It was grimy with rows of stained orange and mustard plastic chairs. There was a ticket counter and a baggage check, both clearly long abandoned, no longer staffed. It didn't seem like anyone worked here. A bus had pulled up and back, and half a dozen people wandered off into the station carrying a hefty bag or a duct tape cardboard box or maybe a beat-up backpack, if anything. A few people moved through the doors and out to the bus, but he never saw the driver. He didn't even come into the station. The man born blind is driven from the synagogue, found guilty and excommunicated, put out, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they tried to get a witness to pin it on him, tried to force a confession out of him, and in the end, they settled for guilt by association, and their own uncertainty is proof of his sin. Being unable to quiet Jesus, they tried to quiet any would-be followers 
by threatening them with excommunication. But you know, before Jesus runs into this man born blind, he just narrowly escapes a rock attack in the temple. He's in the temple and the religious leaders are questioning them and he's telling them that Jesus says to them that Abraham worships him. And they naturally are outraged by this. It's like he's saying he's God. So they pick up stones and Jesus escapes. He escapes, but this is the crazy thing. Narrowly escaping this rock attack right in front of the temple, this does not stop Jesus from committing a grave sin right there under their noses. He breaks one of the Ten Commandments. His disciples point out this man born blind and ask Jesus, Who's, why is he blind? Whose sin is it that caused him to be blind? His parents or his? And Jesus said, there's no sin here. There's no sin here at all. But he's blind, and through that, the work of God, the work of God, will be seen, will be revealed. And Jesus, without even being asked, goes and makes this plaster of mud and saliva. He makes this plaster, and he applies it to the man's eyes and has him wash it off. He does work on the Sabbath. It's forbidden even to make a plaster. They specified out in the law that you cannot do that. But under their noses in front of everybody, Jesus does this work, breaks the Sabbath, the Ten Commandments, right there. He has him wash it off. And when he does, the creative nature of God's work is revealed. He sees this man born blind. Light streams in where there was previously darkness. Now the rest of this uh, long narrative pericope is given over to a debate about the nature of sin. See, at issue here is the work that Jesus did on the Sabbath, making that plaster, and the work that God does that was revealed in bringing light to this man born blind. See, the Pharisees repeatedly asked the question, how Jesus gave this man sight? The man tells him over and over again, there's no, now tell us, how did you receive your sight? Um, they want to know, they, that is, did he perform work on the Sabbath? Even his, the neighbors of this man seem out to get Jesus. They ask the man born blind the how question, and when he tells them about making the plaster, they immediately turn him into the religious leaders. And see, it, just, it doesn't just happen to be the Sabbath here. The author is making a point about the Pharisees' understanding of God in contrast to Jesus's. These religious leaders in John, they see God's work as restrictive. And Jesus sees God's work as permissive. They see sin as transgressing that which is restricted. And Jesus sees sin as limiting the continuing of God's work of creation, that work which is imagined from Genesis forward, which is shown to us to be the bringing of light into the darkness. He watched a woman. He couldn't tell how old she was. Could be 35 or... 65. She was moving toward the doors that opened onto the street. She was clutching a reused Target bag like she was strangling it. 
heavy for its size by the way she was walking. When she pushed open the door, its glass seemed to catch the sunlight, sending a white shaft over the floor and up the wall, moving across the room as the door slowly shut. It passed over him and he squinted. When he opened his eyes again, the door had closed and everything seemed darker. He blinked a couple of times, noticeably darker. He thought his eyes just needed to you know, adjust to the light, readjust, but they didn't, wouldn't. What strikes me in this extended drama with these religious leaders, that these religious leaders, really, when you read the whole thing through, they really are not sure of Jesus' guilt. I mean, they really want to be guilty. They've spent chapter after chapter trying to find something that they could pin on him. But here they have this man born blind that testifies to them that Jesus actually did do work on the Sabbath, broke this commandment. But they cannot get past the astounding fact that he brought light, sight, to this man who was born blind. They're so conflicted by these opposing impulses that they even momentarily break down in this story and they ask this man born blind what he thinks. Now when the man begins to tell them, without hesitation, they regain themselves and they drive him out of the synagogue. They expel him from the synagogue. They excommunicate him. But I can't help thinking that as the door slams after throwing him out, maybe a little light leaks through its crack. I mean, because at the end of this story, Jesus hears that they've thrown this man out of the synagogue, and he goes and he finds him. And he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man born blind says, tell me who he is. You want me to believe in him? I'll believe in him. Whatever you say. And Jesus says, I am he. Then he says, I believe. Jesus continues, I came in this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. So these Pharisees overhear him, like they followed him out. These Pharisees are really curious. They overhear Jesus, and they say, surely you're not saying that we're blind, are we? I mean, in the past, I always heard this um, statement is like, come on, you think that we're blind? Like they were offended. But really, I think they are beginning to just consider for the first time that perhaps they are truly blind. Jesus responds, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But if you say that you, have, you can see, your sins remain. He was standing with his back against the wall between the payphone and a coffee vending machine. And he couldn't make out the sign on the ticket counter that said closed. He knew that he could read it before, or he wouldn't know it was there, right? Or did he walk by it when he first came in? He looked up at the light fixtures again. He was just freaking himself out. He needed to breathe or relax or something. It was anxiety. Well, I mean, he told himself, this is 
anxiety-provoking situation. He thought maybe he could go in the bathroom and, like, splash some water on his face. It was brighter in there. He'd already been in there twice just for something to do while he was waiting for them. Or maybe he should go outside and stand in the sun. But they had told him to wait inside. They said very specifically to wait inside and to not be late. He wasn't late. He'd gotten there early. Having no other thing to do, wanting at least to have something to do, he came early. They said that if he was there and he did what they asked him, then they could help him. He pushed his back flat against the wall and tried to open his eyes wider, and he waited. No, there was something really wrong. This was not the light bulbs or anxiety. It was his eyes. It was eyes. It was like night now in that station, an unlit room at night. He could see people moving through the station in the darkness, surprised that they could find their way without running into something. He pressed the palms of his hand against the wall, trying to get closer to it, to find something solid. It was past the time to meet them. He had to hold his watch up close to his eyes, even to see the time. Webb thought about leaving, but he didn't want to move. Didn't know how to think of anything beyond this moment, what was happening right now. Even his situation, the reason that brought him here, seemed distant and like less of a crisis. He tried not to blink, being sure that every time he did, it got darker in barely noticeable increments. It occurred to him that he was more aware of the sounds around him, like his brain was slowly making some kind of shift, realizing it could no longer rely on the eyes for information. He could hear people walking, the scuff of a chair moving when someone sat down. He could even hear a bus idling out back. But he could barely see. He heard footsteps coming towards him. He could barely make out two figures coming directly to him. He let his body relax, stopped pressing against the wall, took half a step away from it, and peered into the darkness, trying to make out their faces. They stopped in front of him. A woman spoke. We talked on the phone. She put her hand on his arm, warm, reassuring. Even at inches away, he could not see their eyes, the features of their face. And this is my friend I told you about. A man patted him on the shoulders, a greeting. Do you, know, do you know what's happening, Webb said? Do you know about this thing that's going on right now? Take a deep breath and stay still, the man said. She put a hand over his eyes and let it rest there for a minute. It felt cool. When she took it away, the blackness was complete. He turned his head from side to side, searching, but the blackness didn't change. There were no shadows, no impressions. It was complete darkness. You should be better now, she said, giving his arm a squeeze and releasing it. 
You'll be okay. They left him alone in the dark. And he believed what they told him. <laughs>